right. Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see all you guys here. Um, let's, let's put our hands together for Cody Krigger, Wasp Killer. Amen. Good job. Good job, Cody. Um, if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open it up to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 2 through 16 together and then uh, dig into God's truth tonight. As, as we open up um, this time in the Word, I just want to um, tell you, if you're hearing about Jesus for the first time you know, this week, if this is the first time you've ever heard about Jesus and about the resurrection and the death on the cross and all those things, I would just encourage you uh, to come talk to myself or Pastor Jariah or somebody that, that you trust, and we would love to share the good news about Jesus with you personally and help you understand a little bit more um, outside of a sermon kind of setting, uh, just conversationally, maybe questions that you might have, maybe doubts that you have, maybe things you're thinking about when you hear about Jesus. And so if this is the first time you've ever heard about Jesus, we want to talk to you. Don't be shy. Don't kind of run away from that conversation. We would love to have that conversation. In fact, it would be the greatest joy in our lives to have that conversation with you. So let's uh, read Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 16 together. Pray, and then uh, dig into the truth that is contained in these verses. Starting in verse 2, it says, Watch out for dogs. Okay. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision that serve by the Spirit of God. Boast in Jesus Christ and don't put any confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has ground for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was gained to me... I have considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached this goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Praise God for the reading and the hearing of his word. Let's pray and dig in. Father, thank you, Lord, that you have given us 
the grace to be together here this week. Lord, it's a privilege and it is an honor. You have given us life and breath and you've given us everything today. God, everything that we have is from you, the good, the, the, the bad, everything that, that comes into our lives comes from your hand. And Lord, we humbly receive it. Thank you for the way you've been speaking to us this week through your word. God, thank you for Pastor Jariah in the mornings, Lord. Thank you for all of the, the kids' teachers and the youth teachers, God. Thank you for Greg Gosnell teaching our youth. God, thank you that we get to gather now. Holy Spirit, come. And Lord, fill us with a, a knowledge of your word. Lord, help us to see with spiritual eyes. Help us to make changes and help us to love Jesus. As a result of this time together, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, the gospel is the greatest message in all the world. There is not a greater message in the world, world than the good news that Jesus Christ came, that he lived a perfect life for you and me, that he died, and that he rose again. There is not a greater message in the world, amen? Amen. There's not a greater message, and how we handle the message is so crucial. How we view ourselves is so crucial, and how we give out this message is so crucial. So in my garage at home, on my wall are a bunch of old sports trophies, okay? And I've got trophies from my sports career, and I've got plaques, and I've got awards, um, Here's, here's the deal with those. I've got some in my, in my garage. The one space I have in my house, my wife and my daughters rule the rest of the home. But I get this one space in my house, and I have these old trophies, and my mom and dad have the rest at their house. But these trophies, probably a dozen or two, two dozen or something like that, they are collecting dust. The ones in my, in, my, in my garage look really gross now because cobwebs and, and wasps and hornets and all kinds of weird things have, have grown around my trophies in my wall, on my wall. And uh, they're collecting dust and they remind me of how valuable I used to be, right? They remind me of how valuable I used to be at putting a ball through an iron hoop. I would put an inflated ball, all right, that was, that was leather, I would put that in a, an iron circle, and I could do that pretty well. I was pretty good at that. It was a sport called basketball. Maybe you've heard of it. And I did that so well that I got trophies and ribbons, and I'm not talking like the cheapo trophies they get today, all right? I, I, I'm on Facebook. I see all my... My, my people and my church celebrating the, the umpteenth tournament that they've gone to this, you know, in the spring and the summer, and they won first place or second place, and everybody gets a trophy, okay? Like, I'm not talking about that. I've got, I've got trophies, and the, a lot of them say all conference and all region and all state and all that stuff. I used to really love those trophies. I used to look at those trophies, and I used to wipe them off, you know what I mean? Have you guys gotten trophies before? You wipe them off. You make them look really good. You make them shine. You put them up. I just stare at my trophies and I go, oh, trophies. I love you so much. I love you, trophies. And you know what? 
they didn't say anything back. But I began to really love them and clean them and, and really build my resume off of them. And you know, I, um, I, I, I get done with my sports career, and you kind of move on, right? And you get an undergraduate degree, then you get a master's degree, and for me, I got a, I got a certification degree with a, uh, with a biblical counseling organization that's national, and then, and then all the stuff, I get a house and a mortgage, and I get all these things, and then... Instead of looking at all my trophies, I begin to look at all the papers and the accomplishments that, I've, that I start racking up. And, and, and at the end of the day, we do this all the time. We just had a young lady come to us. Um, her name is Molly. She came to my wife and I through our church's counseling ministry, and she came into our, our basement, and we were counseling with her, and she's a senior in high school. Uh, she's entering into her senior year of high school. She's a first-team all-state softball pitcher. And she's phenomenal. She has multiple Division I offers for softball and for basketball. And she came into our, our room and, and we began to counsel with her. And she began to cry and weep because she is finding all of her worth in, in her sports. And she got the case of the, of the yips, you know what I mean? In softball, she's throwing the ball all over the place. She can't throw a strike she comes in, and I get a phone call from her dad, and she says, and, and they're not believers. And they said, hey, uh, we asked for a counselor, and, and our daughter said you would be the best person uh, to meet with her because I'm a chaplain with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I said, sure, we'll meet with Molly. And Molly comes in, and she's like, I can't throw a strike. I'm throwing the ball over my catcher's head. And I'm like, well, what are we going to do about that? She's like, I don't know, that's why I'm here. And then I'm like, well, I got nothing with this. I got nothing, all right? I, I can't tell you anything about how to throw a strike or how to throw a rise ball and all that stuff. I said, but listen, here's, here's the life of an athlete. The life of an athlete is built on performance. You perform well, people love you. You don't perform well, people don't love you anymore. You put the ball through the hoop, you put the, the ball into the strike zone, people all of a sudden love you, or they don't. And we began to get into this, this, this whole discussion with Molly as she's crying her eyes out in our basement about, about how she finds acceptance. And she's the, you know, she's the all-state softball player and the basketball player, and she's president of student council. She's the student body president, and she has all these expectations on her. And I just told her something very simple as she laid out everything for me. I said, Molly, God doesn't care about your rise ball, okay? And she was like, what do you mean? I said, God doesn't care whether you throw strikes or balls. God doesn't care whether or not your team is number one in the state or not. God doesn't care about all these things. God in heaven loves people unconditionally through his son, Jesus Christ. And regardless of how many trophies you have or how many tournaments you've won, it doesn't matter to God. And Danielle um, beautifully added a bunch of really great counsel as well. But she came out of that session, you can tell her spirits were just lifted. And I said, 
you just need to understand that you're going to need to build your identity on something other than a ball going across a plate. You're going to have to build your identity off of more than just performance. You are going to have to build your identity on the God of the universe. Guess what happened? She started throwing strikes. You know, her team's number one in the state. She's a phenomenal athlete. And she's pulling things together. And the best part is that my wife and I get to share Jesus with her every other week. Praise the Lord, right? She's not saved yet, so you can pray for Molly that she would get saved and her parents as well. But I'm just telling you, it's easy to start building a resume in life. And if you and I start building resumes, whether sports or academics or whatever else, it's so easy to begin to trust our resumes and our works, not the grace of Almighty God. It's easy to have confidence in ourselves, our works, our righteousness, our accomplishments, our talents, the acceptance of other people, which Jariah talked about yesterday. In our sinful flesh, we are wired to find our worth and our value and our acceptance from God based on our resume. God, look at all the stuff I have. God, look at all the stuff I'm bringing you. Look how well I am performing in this area of life. And I would just tell you, we have been given the gospel and we need to be very careful with how we treat it and how we deal with it and how we interact with it and how we give it. You see, the Judaizers were coming into the Philippian church. You see that in verse 2? Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Now, these are not nice dogs like your puppies at home, okay? The false teachers in Philippi are not like your cute puppies that you take pictures of and post on social media all over the place. These are really nasty dogs. And these dogs that are a picture of the the Judaizers, those who are going to come into the Philippi and say, hey, the Jesus thing is nice, but you need to be performing, you need to be adding to, you need to be doing these things in order for God to love you through Christ. And so Paul is writing Philippians 3, 2 through 16 to us tonight to warn us of false teaching that would come into the church that would steal anything away from Jesus and the grace we have through him. Now listen, because we are so driven towards works and false righteousness and resume building, we have to recognize our sinful tendencies tonight. And Paul is going to lay out truths in this text which very clearly um, drives towards his own testimony and then drives us towards the gospel. And so this evening I want us to look at three elements of Paul's resume and his resume shatters the giant of false righteousness. And I would guess in a crowd this large, there's going to be some of you who are dealing with this on a personal level. Some of you are leaning on your trophies. Some of you are, are cleaning your trophies. And you're hoping God accepts those things. And I'm here to tell you as your preacher, God is not impressed. He's not impressed with you. He's not impressed with your accomplishments, your trophies. He is impressed with his son, Jesus, and he wants you to know him. So let's look at the three elements. Element number one is remembrance. Element number one is remembrance. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. We are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God. Boast in Jesus Christ and do not put any confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh... If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have 
more. Circumcised the eighth day on the, of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding righteousness, that is in the law, blameless. So Paul is hoping to protect his church at Philippi, his precious church, by sharing his own testimony to say, hey guys, watch out. You're going to have people coming in and they're going to have lots of degrees behind their name. They're going to have a lot of accomplishments they're going to share with you and they're going to try to pull you away from Christ. Let me share my past with you so that you can be aware and identify the false teachers and be standing on Christ alone. Okay, so Paul has an amazing uh, remembrance of his life before Christ. And he has a huge resume of good works. Now, Paul remembers his pedigreed resume for us tonight. And I just want to walk through that together. You can see it in verse 5. He was circumcised on the eighth day. What in the world does that mean? You guys wonder? What in the world does that mean? Circumcised on the eighth day? What kind of boast is that? Well, it's an Old Testament boast. Paul was saying that on the eighth day of his life, According to the laws given by God in Genesis 17, verse 12, Paul was circumcised on the exact right day. Okay? There's a right day to get circumcised. Did you know that? Amen? All right, that's kind of an awkward question, isn't it? That's like a hospital question. All right, there's a right day to do it, and Paul was right on schedule, baby. He's like, look, I, I got circumcised on the right day. And then he says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, well, what does that mean? The tribe of Benjamin was one of the elite tribes of Israel. So Paul's saying, out of all the 12 tribes, I came from Benjamin, which means that he was from a tribe that was one of the favorites. You guys remember Benjamin? He was the second born of Rachel. Okay, Rachel had Joseph and Benjamin. These were the two that rose up, even in the Genesis account of the nation of Israel. Born in the promised land. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but the, one of the most famous alumni from the tribe of Benjamin was Mordecai in the book of Esther. Did you know that? All right, that's a pretty amazing thing. And Paul says, my family is so into it, we make Ancestry.com look lame. Okay? I, I know my family has kept track of where I come from, and I am from the heritage all right, through the Babylon, Babylonian captivity, I'm from the heritage of Benjamin. That is some amazing record keeping. All right, what else was he? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. All right, so Paul was born of Hebrew parents in a pagan Roman city called Tarsus. Okay, so what Paul was saying is like, I have the right convictions, people. I held the line for the Jewish people in this pagan Roman city called Tarsus. My family did not compromise any of the Jewish um, um, inheritance things that we had going on. My parents were both Hebrews. Okay? 5D, at, at the end of verse 5, he says, I'm a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? A Pharisee is the highest student of God's word in the, the society of the day. So a Pharisee would be the religious fundamentalist of their day, interpreting the Bible very literally and directly into their lives. They would be exalted teachers. They would have PhDs. They would be the smartest men in the room by far. And the Pharisees fought the drift towards liberalism. So they would have been conservative, 
Pharisees would have been conservative. And they, would have been, they would have been on the right side of history that way. They, would be, um, they were developed in between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew. That's when the Pharisees were developed as a group. So Paul is saying, look, I had the highest level of education. I had the right education. I was a Pharisee. And then in verse 6, he says, As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Paul was passionate. So he wasn't just some intellectual, educational dweeb who just put his mind into books all day. Paul was passionate. I mean, he was fired up. He was zealous for God. He was doing things that he thought was good. He was passionate for Judaism. He was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And you need to know this, that Paul knew who Jesus was, okay? Paul knew who Jesus was. He knew the gospel. He knew that Jesus died and was resurrected. He just didn't believe it. Paul was a persecutor of the church, and he also said in verse 6, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul was blameless in righteous acts, and this doesn't mean that Paul didn't sin. Okay? Paul's not saying I'm sinless. Paul is saying that as far as others could see of his life, they couldn't bring anything against him regarding his life. He had the right reputation. Paul was the Teflon man, all right? Nothing stuck to him. Everybody would look at him and say, man, that guy is like the most religious, most passionate, smartest guy that I know. And he is on the right side of things because he loves God. And he's a uh, pure-blooded Hebrew. And there's nothing wrong with this guy. And Paul is saying, look, when the Judaizers come, they're going to sound and look a lot like I used to. This is an impressive resume. And I would say that every unsaved person has a resume they're leaning on. Every person who does not know Jesus Christ has a resume that they're leaning on. And it may, may not sound as Jewish as Paul's resume, uh, but we all have our own lists, right? In 2019 America, we have our own list of things that we're leaning on. Um, I would say this, you know, it's uh, being in the right family. Man, that matters in, in Baptist and E-free and non-denominational circles, doesn't it? If you're part of the right family, man. All right. Um, that's dangerous. Being part of the right family is, is a big deal. Having the right education. Having the right outward ep- reputation is big. Wearing the right clothes. How many of you have Under Armour clothes on tonight? Don't raise your hands. If you do, you're probably a little closer to heaven than any, everybody else. Having the right friends. You know, you got to be seen with the right people and the right things and the right selfies and the right Facebook posts and the right Instagram posts. And it's got to be right. Everything's got to be good. And you can go on to food and friendships and productivity and investments and vacations and hobbies and shopping and reading and art and TV. And we all have resumes that we are building up. And, and I just want to tell you again tonight, God is not impressed with your resume. He's not impressed. He is impressed with one person and one person alone, and that is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, though, he he had to remember. And if you know Christ, you have to remember your resume before you knew the Lord. And that's element number one. Element number two is reckoning. All right? uh, A a resume-shattering testimony is one that reckons, and that's the verses 7 through 15. 
Paul says in God's word that when Christ saved him, he reckoned his life and his reality completely differently. You can see it here. Everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. So Paul considered, and that word considered in the Greek means to reckon or, or consider or to account. So it carries almost a financial feel. And Jariah, when you were teaching on this this morning, I just laughed in the back. I'm like, dude, I could just have Jariah re-preach and reteach what he just said, and we could close in prayer. Amen. Because he basically re-taught my, my sermon, or I'm reteaching his lesson. One of those two things is happening. God's in it. That's all I know. But basically what Paul was doing here is everything he used to think was gained, the big list that he just gave the Philippian church, all of that he considered to be lost because he got saved in Acts 9. As soon as, as Paul met the resurrected Jesus, he, he just recategorized all of his life. And he considered those things that he used to think gain as loss in his mind. So Paul, what did he do when he got saved? He, he put down his resume and he believed in Christ's resume for him. That's what happened. That's how he got saved. And so Paul's accounting of his salvation was as soon as he was saved, everything that he valued just switched. Everything switched over. And that's how you know you're saved, people. You want to know if you're saved or not? You have to have a moment in time when you just begin to do your accounting a little bit differently. Can I get a witness? You begin to take all the things you used to value and say, nope, that's lost now. And you take things like Christ, who you didn't used to value, you take Jesus and you say, he's what I value now. That's what it means to be saved. Paul lost it all. He lost family connections. He lost synagogue connections. He lost education connections. He lost reputation connections. And he was okay with it. In fact, Paul considered the loss of these things as filth, rubbish, or dung in comparison to knowing Jesus. And Jeriah mentioned it this morning. I want to just highlight it again for you. He said the things that I used to think were gain, I have considered them filth in verse 8. And in the Greek, that is a nasty word, okay? All right, many of you, without getting too much into bathroom humor here, have produced this word today. <laughs> when you have visited the bathroom, this is what the word is. He said, all these things I am considering now dung. So education, Paul, what do you think about ed your education in, in Jewish upbringing? He's like, that's dung. But Paul, what about all your other stuff? Dung. It is absolute dung in comparison to the explosive gain that I have in knowing Christ. John Piper said it this way. He said, conversion is what happens to the heart when Christ becomes for us a treasure chest of holy joy. Jesus said it a little bit cleaner than Paul. Um, he said it this way in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field that a man found. And in his joy, he went and sold all that he had so he could buy the field. 
Does that make sense? So a guy is walking through, and Jesus told this parable. He's walking through this field, and he finds a hidden treasure. He finds a treasure that is so incalculable and so amazingly valuable that he's like, dude, i got to have whatever that is. Now, why is he trespassing on somebody else's field? That's what I want to know. I'm going to ask the Lord when I get into heaven, like, dude, what was that guy doing in somebody else's field? He finds the treasure, and he says, that is worth a bajillion dollars. This field is for sale for 70000 Okay, so I'm going to go into the, into the town, and I'm going to sell everything I have, and everybody thinks I'm crazy because I'm going to give up my house. I'm going to give up my car. I'm going to give up everything I can to sell my stuff for seventy grand, so I can buy the field and have the treasure. That's what it means to be saved. You look at all your stuff, everything that you've been boasting about, all your trophies that you've been kissing and and cleaning and you say all of it is worthless because I found a treasure in the field and his name is Jesus and I'm going to give up whatever I need to give up so I can have Jesus in my life Paul sold all that he had so that he could have the treasure in the field and that treasure is Christ and Paul reckoned that Jesus provided for him a righteousness you see that be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. So what does this mean? This means that Judaizers are going to be coming into Philippi and they're going to be saying, you need Jesus plus something. Jesus plus your resume. And Paul is telling them, no, 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 no. No, we are not going to lean on a righteousness of our own. We are going to lean on a righteousness based by faith alone. Our righteousness before God is found only in Christ. So our church, our church is, as we are gathered as multiple congregations coming from all over the place, the health of our churches is based on us having a very simple joy in knowing Jesus. Amen? And there is nothing else we get to boast in. There's nothing else we get to find joy in. There's nothing else other than I was a wicked sinner and Jesus Christ saved my life. So element number two is reckoning. You have to make that reckoning uh, movement in your mind. And the third element is reaching. Reaching. Paul reached for Christ. And he did this in verses 12 through 16. Actually starting in verse 10. He says, my goal is to know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection of the dead, not that I have already reached this goal or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ. Okay, so Paul says, I am reaching out. All right, I'm reaching, I'm making every effort to reach out for Christ. And that word means to lay hold of or grasp or stretch out for. So, um, the idea of the word, I guess I could use it. Um, you guys, did you get the score update on your, on your Twitter or your, your phone of the incredible softball game that happened out here just a little bit ago in the afternoon? Cody Krigger, all-star MVP award for pitching. We had, uh, there was a kid named Asa. There you are back there. Okay, that dude might as well be Babe Ruth. That guy is unbelievable. And so um, I'm just trying to keep up with these young guys, and I... I get a hit, and it goes into right center, 
And I just know that I'm going to get on my horse and really get as many bases as I can. And I'm chasing down a kid that's on my team, but he's in front of me. And so we're running around the bases. And it is slippery because of the rain. It was spitting rain. And I would just say this. Like I'm running around the bases. It's kind of chaotic because there's a, a chase down going on at home. Cody's chasing the guy down the third baseline. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to take an extra base. But then I don't know if Cody's coming back or not. So I go back to second. Cody overthrows the throw home. And I am sprinting to third. Because I'm going to try to get an extra base if I can. I see the ball. You know, it goes in slow motion. I see the ball coming to third base. And I was thinking, I am not as fast as I used to be. (laughs) And I'm running to third. I'm running to third as fast as I can. And, And Judd is on third. And I'm like, Judd's an amazing athlete. He's going to catch it. He's going to tag me out. That's what's going to happen. So I think what 37-year-olds should stop thinking, I think, just dive, dude. Just dive. Just dive and grab for whatever you can. So the ball's coming in. I kind of close my eyes because I'm too scared to look. And I just dive in there. And I literally grab third base with my left hand, praying that I don't get tagged. And I got there, and I, I, I kept sliding. I took third base with me. Okay? Look, that's a good picture of this word. I wasn't going to let third base go for anything. I don't care what Jason Reynolds told me. I don't care. I'm taking this base with me home. Okay, that's the word Paul is using. Since being saved, Paul knew Christ, but yet he needed more of Christ. Does that make sense? His goal was to know Christ. He was passionately in pursuit of Christ. He wanted to grab onto Christ and have more of Christ. And he wanted an all-consuming focus, passion on Christ. Guess what that's called? That is called sanctification, baby. Sanctification, after you get saved and you account all these things and you switch all your values around, sanctification is not some boring step-by-step with Jesus. I guess I'm a Christian now and I guess I'll just keep going. All right, sanctification is this amazing pursuit of Jesus who saved you. Amen? This is what it is. And... um, What is it a pursuit of? It's a pursuit of Christ and his glorious resume. Okay, being saved is a wonderful thing, but when you get saved, you take on Christ's righteousness. And being sanctified is this beautiful step that we get to take in saying, I want more of not my own resume. I'm tired of my resume. Amen? Aren't you tired of your trophies? Tired of your accomplishments? Tired of all the stuff that humans can give? I want more of Jesus' resume. I want to understand it more. I want to dive into it more. I want to know the cross and the resurrection better. I want to know Jesus. That's sanctification. And basically it's saying I want to take further grasp of the resume of Jesus. Well, What do I mean by that? Well, um, I'll share an illustration with you. When I was a little kid, uh, one of the best things I, I ever got to do was hang, on, hang out with my grandpa. And he took me, I'm wearing an Iowa shirt on purpose tonight because he took me to an Iowa State game, Iowa State football game. 
Go Hawks. And he took me to an Iowa State game. He said, he said, Josh, you're a VIP today. You get to come with me. And we got to go to the VIP section of the Iowa State uh, stadium. We got to just hang out. We got to eat at the stadium during the game. I mean, I'm like six years old. It's the best. And all the time, I just kept thinking, I'm with him. I'm with him. And Grandpa, would kept, he kept introducing me to all these people and all these individuals that he knew. And I just kept saying, I'm with him. I'm with him. Free food is with him. I'm with him. I'm with this guy. And then he was a, he was a representative in the state house for over 25 years. And my grandpa and my grandma would take us up. And we would get to spend a week with them at the state house in Des Moines. And, and the same feeling happened all over again. When we got to spend our week with Grandpa and Grandma, we got to meet uh, representatives and senators from all over the place. It was an amazing thing, but I kept just holding on to Grandpa saying, I'm with this guy, man. I'm with this guy. And that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is holding on to Christ passionately and saying, I'm with him. Forget my resume. I don't want my resume anymore. I am leaning on the resume of someone else. And the more I know this someone else, the more I get to understand the beauty of what he's done for me. So, sanctification is pursuing our foundation in Christ's resume. Sanctification is discovering the depth of Jesus in his resume for you and me. And so, this, this, this evening, as we continue to walk through this book of Philippians... Um, as we face the giant of false righteousness, it is so easy to begin to trust in our resumes. And I just would encourage all of us tonight, even as, as believers, lay your resumes down. Just lay your resumes down. God is not impressed, and he never has been. He's impressed that you have believed in his son. And just come back to that truth again tonight. Come back to the cross and resurrection and say, Lord, whatever I'm holding on to, whatever I'm tempted to hold on to, I lay it down before you and I want to dive into the resume of Christ for me. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, man, what a beautiful opportunity tonight to stop leaning on your sinful stuff. Your sinful resumes. Some of you are here, and if you were to die tonight, you would go to hell, and you would suffer a Christless eternity apart from God because you're leaning on your own righteousness. And I would encourage you with all my heart to see Jesus for the first time in your life as the one who died for you and was buried for you and rose again for you, and he offers you tonight the opportunity to be saved if you would just Get over yourself and get over your pride and get over all these sinful things that are keeping you from saving faith. So those are the things that I want to just challenge you with tonight as Cody comes back up to close us up. Let's all stand together and pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel message, Lord, that Jesus Christ alone brings righteousness. And Lord, there will be many people in our lives who come into our lives to tell us that it's Jesus plus something else. But God, you tell us that Jesus is sufficient, that he paid for all of our sins, that he, he saves to the uttermost all who put their faith in him. And Lord, I pray for anybody here tonight 
who does not have forgiveness in their heart, does not know Jesus, has not received the righteousness that only Christ gives, I pray that you would save them tonight. Lord, I pray that they would repent of their sins and trust in the righteous resume of Jesus. And Lord, for all the believers in the house tonight, God, keep us away from leaning even for a moment, God, on the resumes that we used to lean on. God, keep us from boasting in our flesh. Keep us from from moving towards accomplishments that, Lord, you have said you're not impressed with. Jesus, give us joy in leaning on and trusting in your resume. God, give us joy as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Ending. 
shall soon dissolve like snow. Love taught forbear to shine, but God who the hymn says, if you've not been set free, if your chains are not gone this evening, as Pastor Josh mentioned, please seek someone out that you know uh, knows Jesus and uh, figure out what needs, the transaction that needs to take place there. So, um, also, as a reminder, in a half hour, I think, is that right? Be back here if you want to play together. So, see you later. Thank you.